When you take what's been happening in the world over the last three years with the pandemic and the cost, rising cost of goods, particularly in the construction field, there, there were some major spikes in, in pricing. And then you also look at multifamily investing, which is an area that a lot of real estate investors are interested in. And then combine that also with you know, the need for more housing and affordable housing, ideally. Trying to marry those three things together and build a very new and unique business sounds somewhat impossible. But my guest today, Mike Kading, who's the CEO of Norhart, a construction company in Minnesota, is doing just that quite amazingly. I think you're going to be really inspired by Mike's story and what they're doing. But basically, they design, build, and rent apartments, but they're doing it in a way that is embracing latest technologies and uh, production approaches of other industries, uh, you know, so incorporating, you know, new techniques and technologies that are revolutionizing the way that they go about building apartments to the point where it's reducing costs at the moment by up to 30% and building something of three or 400 units in, in nine months instead of 15 months. You can imagine the impact that's having. And, uh, you know, Mike's company and bigger mission is to solve the housing shortage, not just locally, but nationally and even globally. So it's, I think you're going to find this an intriguing and inspiring conversation and uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now back to the show. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Perhaps oh, yeah, if you- Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's, it's kind of an interesting place that your business is at and what you're doing. So perhaps give people a little bit of a background overview. And you've got an interesting story, how you ended up running the company as well, which is a sad story, but um, yeah. perhaps tell us a little bit about that, kind of your background and where things kind of kick off and what you're doing now. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, at a high level, we design, build and rent apartments, but we're really focused on driving down the cost of housing by solving the issues in the world of construction. And so we're already achieving about a 20 to 30% reduction in cost. We believe we can achieve a 50% reduction. But imagine what that means. That means someday your rent could be half, or your mortgage payment could be half. And so it'll be fun to talk about that whole world. But where I got started is this was a family business. My, my parents started it and there was just, we were just building small little apartments at the time, like eight or 10 units at a time. And I remember growing up and we'd do family outings where we would go off to the local hardware store, drive about a half an hour. My brother, my, my mom and my dad and myself, we'd each fill up two carts full of materials and then we'd fill it into my dad's trailer and drive back down the highway. I don't think that was entirely illegal, but it was certainly fun. <laughs> Uh, we would get and we'd be building these buildings. So my summers were spent building, my winters were in school. And then I went off to college. And initially, I wanted nothing to do with the family business. Right. And the reason that is, is that 
you know, I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I really had to wrestle with my own ego on that. And deep down, though, what I realized is that I want to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. And I could take this opportunity with the small business and grow it into something that has that level of impact. So my dad and I were together for after college, and we doubled the size of the company during that time, which was exciting. And within a couple of years, my dad unexpectedly passed away. You know, overnight, my world was shattered, right? And, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. Overnight, I had to take over this business. But looking back at it, there was almost a blessing in that. There was almost a, a magic in that because I didn't know what I was doing entirely. That means I didn't know the way things were supposed to be done, right? <laughs> right, right? We could start questioning things. There was nobody to tell me no. And that was the start of this journey to transforming the way that construction is done. And, and what's the state of the company now? How big and, and what sort of projects are you doing? Because I think that's the interest. Certainly the interesting thing for people hearing this is, wow, okay, because, well, you probably found during COVID, the cost of materials just went oh, yeah. skyrocketed. I think it's settled back down yeah. to some extent now. But so, so where is the company now? What are you doing? What kind of projects are you doing? And how are you able to reduce costs by 30 and aiming towards 50%? Yeah, a lot to unpack there. So right now we're about a $200 million company. We have about 1,200 or so units either completed or under development. The kinds of projects we're doing now are, you know, three or 400 unit apartment buildings. They tend to be some of the nicest in the areas, which is a little counterintuitive for those who might think we're trying to reduce cost of housing. But we are. We have rooftop patio and grills. We have pools. We have penthouse suites. We have game rooms, restaurants, coffee shops, just beautiful new buildings. We're producing right now at about 500 units per year. We've been more or less doubling in size every year. Wow. But the big question, how do you actually reduce cost, right? This sounds like alchemy, like magic. How, how is that even possible? Well, the one of the first things we started realizing is how segmented the world of construction and real estate really is. Your owner is typically a different company than your developers, typically different than your general contractor, your subs, your supply chain, your manufacturers. And what we did is we brought that all in one house. Let's imagine for a moment, if a construction company were to produce cars, you'd have a different company installing the door, a different company installing the windshield, and a different company installing the wheel. And then... <laughs> course, the wheel company, well, they would get delayed on another project and they would call you up and say, sorry, but I can't be there for another two weeks. Well, your line would be shut down. And when they did come out, they would be irate because they could only work on one car at a time rather than a whole fleet of cars that they want to do. And so the world of manufacturing looks at that and says, well, that's crazy. We would never do that. But that's normal in the world of construction. Mm. We brought all the work in house. But now we can start applying the technologies and techniques that other industries have had. You know, manufacturing over the past 60 years has improved labor productivity by 760%. Yes. Construction during that same time period done nothing, right? So if we just take the lessons, take what they've learned and apply it to our industry, get a major impact. So right. one example of that, something simple. 
the assembly line. So traditionally in the world of manufacturing, you move the product past the person on the line. Now in construction, you can't take a building, drive it down a line, but you can take the person and move them through the building. So what we do is we take the building and break it down into smaller batches. Each batch is about the size of a unit. And every five hours, all the teams throughout the whole organ, whole building shift and go through the building like a snake. And so if you look at the end of that line, every five hours right now, we are producing a brand new apartment unit. Just wow. that one technique takes a 15-month project down to nine months. But there are 10,000 little things like that make it all happen. Wow. That's amazing. I did, yeah. You wouldn't. And so the one thing, interestingly, I don't know if you're aware of them, and I think I'm right in saying the builder is called Matami up here okay. in Canada, and they have a factory for single family homes. Yeah. So they build within a factory and then it, it, it kind of, now I can't remember if the factory is actually on site and the factory moves or whether they actually roll the house out and then put it on foundations, but they have that kind of approach. But to do that with apartment buildings of three or 400 units is exactly. like, yeah, it sounds to me revolutionary. Is oh, anybody? Yeah. Well, the fact we're as low of cost as we are, I don't know anyone who's even touched that, but you talk about factories. We also have factories, right? And so we're really playing with this notion of how much can be produced in a factory setting and delivered on site. Right now we have a wall panel plant that completes, builds completed exterior wall panels and they get delivered literally every five hours onto the site and the crane literally just picks it off in a constant flow building up the building. We have precast concrete facilities now that produce all the beams and columns throughout the buildings. But yeah, we're moving more and more that direction in manufacturing more of it in factory-like settings. So this is just like a GM production line using what they call, I don't know if people know the term JIT, but just in time. Yep. Exactly. In so that's exactly, and you've just moved that to construction yes. and apartment building. In, in fact, I, I, talking in, about in simple terms, I'm sure it's, it took a lot to do that, but in simple terms, that's what you've basically done. Well, yeah, you talk about GM. We Toyota invented in many ways concepts of lean, just in time, all of these principles that help improve manufacturing in a deep way. Well, guess what? We got in contact with them and we asked Toyota, like, can we partner with you and build a relationship with you so we can better apply your techniques? And now guess what? Toyota is out here every single month helping us apply what they've learned in their plants into the world of construction. That's fascinating. So when you're saving those, when you're realizing those kind of time savings and cost savings, is that passed on to the buyer or are you gaining the advantage of a greater margin or is it that a combo? That is a fantastic question. The answer today is that we do not pass it on to the buyer. Why, right? If our goal is affordable housing in the long term, why don't we pass those savings on today? Well, if we did that today, we're solving affordable housing for a few thousand people. That's awesome. That's commendable. What's our goal? We want to solve it nationwide and maybe eventually worldwide. Well, to do that, you have to think differently. What we're doing is we're taking those profits and moving it into building the system, the manufacturing capabilities, the infrastructure, the supply chains that build housing, right? Elon Musk talks about how it's hard to produce a car. 
but it is 10 to 100 to 1,000 times harder to build the system that builds the cars. Think about their gigafactories, right? We're essentially building the gigafactory for apartments. And our goal long-term as we scale up, our goal in 10 years is to reach 60,000 apartment units per year as our construction pace, 192,000 apartments available overall. But at that stage, we're starting to have the kind of scale that impacts the supply and demand curve, meaning that there's so much supply coming to market that prices start to fall. Hmm. But here's the key. It's not just for our own residents. It's for everyone nationwide. And that's how you solve housing affordability. So at the moment, is your focus in a specific geographic location? You're staying local? So right now we're primarily in Minnesota, although we do have manufacturing capabilities in Wisconsin. We're currently in the process of expanding into Texas uh, for our multifamily, and we're expanding our manufacturing capability down to Mexico. And we'll we'll expand further than that. And that again is from a cost-saving point of view. Yeah. So Mexico, two reasons there. There's a lower price of labor. But the second thing, a little bit unique thing, is you can handle supply chain issues in a little bit different way. Just because of tariffs and stuff like that, you can take advantage of some of that through Mexico. And with that bigger goal of the affordable housing, what conversations are you having with, you know, with government, be it at local level or national level? Are you, are you starting to have those conversations and what's happening with that? Because here in Canada, affordable housing or housing shortage generally is a big topic. I mean, the Canadians just announced about a week ago that we had a, just short of, just shy of a million new immigrants into Canada, which for a country that only has the population of roughly California, if you could imagine a million new people going into California, that's a big number and not having the housing in place for them. So it's, it's a major, it's a major kind of challenge. And the government's talking a good talk, but I'm not necessarily seeing, you know, the fruits of that, you know. I was sharing with you before we started that Ontario has announced they're going to build 150,000 houses in the next 10 years. Well, in any decade, Ontario has never built more than 75,000 houses. So, wow. so what sort of conversations are you having with governments around this topic? So we had a U.S. congressman just come out and visit and have a great conversation with us about a week ago, which was phenomenal. But honestly, the conversations aren't as deep or as widespread as I would love to have. I think part of that is at times it feels like we're a, the best kept secret, but that's starting to change a little bit. In our market here, the largest newspaper ended up doing a feature story on us this last week. Uh, we've recently been on NPR and on AP and CBS. And then actually the Wall Street Journal just called this week and had an interview with me as well. So we're starting to see that change, but we haven't had a lot of exposure or connection thus far yet. And how are you funding this? Is this through investors, real estate investors are coming or people with capital are coming to you and using that as a vehicle to be involved in real estate investing, but letting you do all the, do all the hard work? Great question. So to date, it's all been my own money or my, you know, my family's money. Wow. The, but think about this. Typically a construction loan will give us 75% of our project. So our most recent building values at about $100 million, meaning that the bank loan typically would be about $75 million. Our cost on that project is about $70 million. So it's actually less than the bank loan. Think about that. 
Each okay. building we build, we're generating cash, which is unheard of in this industry. Now, the reality of the world today is with rising interest rates, banks have become more skittish and providing less cash for buildings. So that 75 is now down to about 60. And so we have got to provide cash for the buildings. And wow. we have a war chest that hasn't been a problem, but we're starting to look toward the future. And for the first time ever, we're actually opening up to investors here soon with a new platform called Norhart Invest. So that's exciting. And have you handled have you handled taking over the business from such a sad occurrence and being able to, it sounds like to me, being able to take a vision and kind of stamp it on the company and maybe take the company in a different direction that maybe may not have happened otherwise? Yeah, it was, it was hard, if I'm really honest. You go back, I was talking about the positives and not knowing a lot. Well, there's a negative side to that. And when my dad passed away, we were working through to get approval on the new project. I struggled a lot with the city, mainly because of my own inexperience, frankly. Mm. Then when we got into building, the city shut me down twice. And the second oh. time they shut me down, they said, Mike, you need to hire a real manager who knows what they're doing, right? I felt like just a pipsqueak kid. You know, They saw me as just a pipsqueak kid. And so I had just a couple of days to find someone. Otherwise, I had to lay off my crew temporarily. Found someone that's a terrible way to find a leader in three days. <laughs> uh, and it ended up being a real challenge and a problem for us. But anyway, toward the end of that project, I remember we had a water test that had to get passed. And it failed. And it failed in a way that was very minute, meaning there was a pinhole leak somewhere in thousands of feet or about a thousand meters of pipe buried somewhere between 15 feet in the ground or, you know, like five meters in the ground. And we had to find it. But how do you find a pinhole leak in that large of a pipe? We just started digging. And I remember being out in my nice clothes in the dirt and the mud, shoveling, looking for this leak. You know, eventually we found it. And I remember about a week before we were supposed to open, the city officials came out and said, there's no way. There's no way you're getting approval for opening. And we worked so hard through the nights, multiple, well, the whole week, but the whole time before that too. And then I remember on the very final day, about a half a dozen city inspectors came out for a half a day, and they looked at every detail of that project. And I remember at the very end, in the parking garage in the basement, the head building official came to me, pulled me aside and said, Mike, I know we were hard on you. Looking at this today, this is the best project we have ever opened in this city. You should be proud. Wow. It's like, ah, oh, finally, <laughs> right? Throughout my whole existence here, I'm questioning, can I do this? Am I good enough? And everyone's telling me, no, you're not. And to finally like work past that and finally have some kind of confidence in myself, such a, a key moment. And what has been the reaction of your crews? Because they're doing things very differently from probably what they were taught. And I would imagine you've probably got long served people that have been in construction for 20 years, 30 years, and all of a sudden you're turning everything on its head and saying, this is the way forward. What's kind of been the reaction there? And has it been difficult to find people open to that kind of change? Yes. It goes to my most important lesson I've ever learned, which is hire the very best. And when I say the very best, I literally mean the very best, like the world experts and stuff. We fly people in from other states 
to come work here during the week. We fly them home on the weekend because they're the best of what they do. Well, 15% of our staff are actually international, again, because they're best in the world wow. at what they do. What I have found is that I can't change hardly anything. I need amazing people that have that kind of mentality and spirit and drive that are willing to change things themselves. We have 10,000 problems in this industry, and I can only solve 10. But if I have a thousand people around me who can each solve 10 themselves, together we can make a big change. And the reality is in this construction environment, a lot of construction people tend not to be that kind of way, right? It's granddad did it this way. My dad did it this way. By golly, I'm going to do it this way. It's a rough and tumble kind of difficult, negative kind of environment. And we'll hire people with experience, but only if they don't, if they're not corrupted by that kind of perspective. Um, we hire people that are relatively new in the field as well. But it was such a struggle to find the kind of people that we want that we ended up hiring on 14 recruiters. 14. Entire company size is about 250 employees today. 14 recruiters is a lot for our size. Right. We do that because we put tremendous time and energy finding the kind of people that are going to change the world. So you're hiring for the vision yeah. as well as the trade. Yeah. But the vision leads yes. versus most people would, well, I just want to find a really good contractor and then I'll worry about whether they fit or not. Exactly. Yeah. If they don't match up to our values and a mission, it is pointless bringing right. them on. And what are the challenges kind of going forward? Where, what are you looking forward to? And what are the kind of things that you're thinking, you know, this is going to give me the next level of challenges? The current challenges are things related to scale. It's interesting. You can, in some situations, you can add more people to a process and actually slow the process down, right? It's experiences like that we're running into. We're starting to, so we just recently got brought on precast concrete wall panels. We're expanding our manufacturing capabilities. We brought on a whole art engineering architectural team that not only designed buildings, but we're really getting them to design the systems that build those buildings. And we're really rethinking how that whole chain works. Another piece of the puzzle is getting really good at that five-hour batch cycle. And so we are quite good right now, but we want to take that five hours down to four hours, down to one hour, down to a half an hour. And like there are tremendous challenges to making that happen. It, it's a really simple idea. It's incredibly challenging to actually execute on. And so it's those sorts of things that we're working on as we're trying to build up the right enterprise to get to 60,000 units a year. And you mentioned right at the beginning that you also rent. So you, yeah. you build, you develop, build, and then rent these units. Exactly. So you maintain ownership of the building. We do. And so you have, I'm assuming, positive cash flow once the building's open yes. and ready. Yeah, it brings stability to the overall business, but yeah. And was that the reason to stabilize, like giving it a longer term view? Because I mean, a lot of people would just say, no, I've got, I'm going to focus on the building. And then when it's, once it's done, you know, I'm out of here, sell them as condos or whatever they want to do, but they don't want to be doing the ongoing. What are the benefits of it? And then, and again, probably, so you're, are you doing property management and everything? Yes. So, yep. Wow. Literally dirt the key. Whole right. Fire. Uh, so the 
this kind of goes back to our like North Star or our purpose. And ultimately our purpose or why we exist is to create a better way for people to live. And so because of that, we felt it was important to control the experience that residents have at the very end level. And so we're really reshaping and rethinking about how those experiences are had and how we can provide not only eventually a lower cost of living, but just a phenomenal experience of living. And so if we really want to do that well, we have to own and control that part of the process as well. I hope you don't take offense if I... No, go for it. If I say, this is like the Apple of construction, multifamily construction. Would that be a, because I mean, Apple does soup to nuts and controls the environment afterwards and the, and therefore the experience, because I know as an Apple com convert, for want of a better description, if Apple brings out anything new, I'll look at it because it's Apple and I know yeah. I'm going to get this level of product at this quality, with this after service and everything else. Is that a fair comparison or? That is absolutely what we say internally. I can't really publish. <laughs> I don't know if Apple would let me say that out right. loud in public, but right. to give you some sense, well, just to kind of get into the caliber of people here and the mentality of it, our lead designer who oversees the designs of our new buildings and the look and feel and the experience that residents have, it's all he thinks about Steve Jobs announces the iPhone in 2007. Steve Jobs walks off stage and following that presentation, our designer walked on that same stage that Steve Jobs and just announced the iPhone. It's that kind of caliber of people that are working wow. thinking about those problems. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I'm excited for you. I, yeah. I, 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 like literally, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's so revolutionary. And yeah. so is the goal eventually, I mean, you say the, you know, the country and then the world to, you know, to become the Toyota lean teacher. I mean, is that because that's what Toyota does, isn't it? I mean, they now have, as you said, you're using them to understand lean and just in time. So is that the goal eventually for you to be able to do that for other apartment developers and businesses? The goal is to solve housing affordability, right? So okay. We'll do that in a variety of ways. One is scaling up our own business to make that impact ourselves. But certainly, like we're on these podcasts, we're doing these events. I share yeah, all what we're doing openly because I, I want us all to solve housing affordability. You know, I just had a call with a developer yesterday, phenomenal guy. And we were just sharing ideas of like, okay, how are you solving this in your world? Here's how I'm solving it in my world. And we both learn things from each other. And so, yeah, mm. I am. 100% open, whatever you want to know. Like if that helps you solve affordability in your own little niche, let's do that so that we can solve this nagging problem in society. And do you see this being possible in other types of buildings? I mean, whether it's single family or duplexes or townhomes, can Absolutely. the same principles be applied? Oh, with, without question. Because at the core of it, it's just being great at solving problems and mm. getting a culture of people of continuous improvement, making those improvements. You can do that in any industry, frankly, mm. and any type of construction as well. Right. We probably won't focus on others because it's a hard enough problem solving multifamily. Right. But uh, if others want to do it, and well, all my knowledge, by all means, let's do it. <laughs> okay, wonderful. A couple of questions I like to ask guests before we kind of wrap up and let people know where they can find out more about you. Do you have a favorite personal brand and who is it and why? 
Well, we're just talking about Apple. <clears throat> well, personal brand. We're just uh, yeah, an individual, an, an individual. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, I the first person that comes to mind is Elon Musk. I there's I have a little mixed feelings about it, but I think the thing right. I really like about him is he's trying to solve the world's biggest problems, right? And he's organizing and bringing people together to solve that at a high level, right? He's not just building a company to make money. He's doing it to solve the climate or working to get us to Mars, right? That's something I'm really impressed by. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean, the kind of hesitation, because I think Twitter is just a distraction for him, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I don't know why he keeps doing it. But anyway, that, his choice, I guess. But yeah, it, and it goes back to your point, isn't it, about building those systems in places. I mean, it, it, it would be almost unheard of, wouldn't it, 10 or 15 years ago to turn around and say NASA is no longer going to la launch mm. and run their own rockets and somebody else is going to do it for them and bring the rockets back down to Earth. You know, you would have thought, no, you're mad. That's never going to happen. And, yeah. But he had it and yeah. he had the idea. and he ex I think that's the thing with him, isn't it, is he executes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What about a favorite business book or podcast? No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix. Okay. Phenomenal book. Talks about the importance of hiring the very best people. Just has a lot of great business principles in there that I found useful for my life. Right. And again, a good example is somebody that took a traditional, very traditional business. And I think it was, I right that Blockbuster was offered Netflix. Yes. For 60 million or something. I think it was cheaper than that. But yeah, it was. And said no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And what about a latest piece of technology or some, you know, tool that you're enjoying using? This one's kind of random, but this is, I was just using this today. It's called Wallex, see? And it's a LinkedIn, it's a tool for LinkedIn to help automate some of the interactions and stuff you have on that platform. Really kind of interesting way to help build a relationship. So scaling again, I yeah, guess. Yeah. That's right. And do you have a favorite quote that inspires you or motivates you? I have a bunch. It's maybe more of a paragraph, but you know, Steve Jobs talks about how many of us just kind of live life in a way that's not bumping into walls too much, right? But at some point, you realize that the people that created the world around you are no smarter than you are, and that you can change the world, the space, the capabilities of the environment around you, you can have an impact on the world. And so I guess for him, maybe it's the, he wants to make a dent in the universe. I love that quote. Right. Okay. Wonderful. So how can people find out more about you, Mike? Where's the best place to find you and, and, and get more details? Yeah, you can visit our website. That's norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. And there you can learn about our new investment platform we're launching, as well as a new podcast called Becoming a Unicorn. It's about the journey of small businesses growing to billion-dollar enterprises and what that's really like. Oh, cool. And is, yeah. it, is the podcast out or is it coming out? It's, it's coming out. It's getting close. Maybe by the time this is out, it'll right. be out online. Okay, wonderful. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. And Mike, I found this fascinating today. I really wish you every luck in the world that you you execute on this. I think it's a fantastic purpose and such a unique and inspiring way to go about it. It really does, really has kind of excited me. It's wonderful. And have yourself a brandtastic day.
Yeah, thank you. That's great, Mike. Thank you. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.